0: So we're walking through the book of Galatians over the next uh, month and a half or so, and um, I want to encourage you to follow along. We're not going to do the verses up on the screen today so that you'll follow along or can follow along. The Bibles are in front of you. It's on page 810, I believe, or maybe you want to fire up a smartphone, and and I'm going to give you a chance to turn there while I tell you about my latest identity story. Um, Today in Galatians, we're going to deal with, um, we're going to deal with, Paul's teaching on having a proper foundation of who we are. Um, That is shining right in my face. Um, So yesterday, uh, going back to the the, the heart of all of my own identity woes, uh, I'm at the Michelle Knight Boo You Bash. And it's, uh, it's the guardian angels are there checking tickets at the door. That's the group of people that um, keep the media and haters out of an event. And so uh, we go up and they say, uh, I need your last name. And I say, Poindexter. And um, you just see the smile creep across his face. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're going to go with the revenge of the nerds poindexter or the young MC bust a move reference and after a few more seconds of smiling it's standing on the wall like you was poindexter and he's laughing uh, because that was the first time in my life that I've heard that Um, so thanks to young MC and his one-hit wonder back in the 80s Um, I have to go through life with that and and he still plays at bar mitzvahs and things like that Um, the reference in the song to the fact that if your name uh, if you're a poindexter you don't do very well with the ladies Uh, that was the the reference in bust a move but I bet a thousand I married the only girl that I have ever dated so did quite well thank you very much young MC and your one hit wonder that you still tour bar mitzvahs with uh, anyway, um, that's my that's my latest uh, identity crisis. Yesterday at the at the fundraiser, um, so the book of Galatians. Remember, we said that it's a letter written by the apostle Paul, and it was a letter written to the Christians at the church of Galatia, and uh, these these Galatian Christians had some identity issues in that. The Jewish Christians, the people who grew up with a Jewish background and then became Christians, they had all sorts of moral codes and things that they would turn to to make them feel good about themselves, and look down on the Gentile Christians, the Christians who didn't have a Jewish background, who didn't follow their customs, and they made life pretty difficult. The Jewish Christians made life difficult for the Gentile Christians because they said uh, that they needed to jump through all these hoops to be really right with God, and and so Paul is writing this letter to attack that kind of thinking that says somehow your identity is established before God through your morality. Um, now, now he is so venomous in attacking this line of thinking uh, that that he he and if you read this this past week, and again I really want to encourage you to read Galatians throughout the week. I'm I'm sort of writing this series with the hope that you will read it throughout the week because I'm kind of piecing things together throughout the book and then hopefully as you continually read, there's six chapters in Galatians. Uh, that means it's take about 18 to 20 minutes to read it all the way through and I hope you'll do that once or twice a week and I think throughout the series you'll begin to piece together more and more what Paul's talking about and really know the book. But anyway... Um, So if you read, you, you, you read that Paul is attacking this line of thinking so much that circumcision, we said, was the central ritual of Judaism. And these Jews were telling the Gentile Christians, you have to be circumcised to be right with God, a moral act to be right with God. And Paul is so mad that he says, you know what, if somebody tells you that, I wish they would go the whole way and just cut the whole thing off. He says that in the book of Galatians. That's how serious he is. I mean, that's pretty crude language. But that's how serious Paul is in saying your identity is not to be established through a code of morality. It's through Jesus and nothing else. All right, so let's take a look at this. We're going to start in, um, in Galatians 1.10. We read this last week. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings, or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So right out of the gate, Paul asks a crucial question for all of us. Are you going to, with your life, try to please God or please people? Because you probably can't do both. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves when it comes to our identity is who are we going to please? Whose approval are you after? God's or people? Because you probably can't have both. And I think Paul realizes that for most of us, we go through life with an approval deficit. And we spend our lives trying to gain approval from exterior things. And so much of what we do is guided by this desperate need for approval. So the first question we need to answer in a walk with God is, who are we going to gain our approval from? Now, I I think this is especially relevant if you, in your past, felt a lack of approval from either your parents or your peers. When you're growing up, the approval you get or don't get from your parents or your peers, you can spend the rest of your life fighting against that identity crisis, searching for identity in all sorts of unproductive ways. So you need a red flag if you were short of approval from your parents, maybe felt constant criticism or things like that, or your peers, because that means that you're at a deficit trying to figure out who you are and where your identity comes from counselor offices are filled throughout this great nation of ours with men and women like you and me who are struggling to find our identity because the first thing that satan does and if you believe the bible then you need to believe that there is a satan and he is at work in your life and one of the first things that he goes for traditionally in scripture is your identity It's where he started with Jesus himself. So in the book of Luke and in the book of Matthew, two of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, uh, we see this in Jesus' life. So Jesus starts off his public ministry uh, at, at baptism. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and he comes up out of the water, and the first thing that happens is the heaven essentially open, and God speaks, and he says what? Anybody know? This is my son. I love him and I'm pleased with him. So, the first thing God does for Jesus is he blesses him with his identity. You are my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Now, can you imagine in life if you got to start out every day with that blessing? If if, if you, you know, you wake up. And the first thing that happens, the heavens open and God speaks directly to you. And he says, I want you to know, Larry, you're my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Laura, you're my daughter. Sandy, you're my daughter. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Every single morning, no matter what, no matter what you've done the day before, you wake up and the first thing that happens God affirms your identity as his child who he loves and is pleased with. You could face pretty much anything in life, right? If every single morning, again and again and again, the creator of the universe vocalized to you, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Well, God does this for Jesus. You're my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And the next thing that happens, the very next thing that happens, he's led into the wilderness to be tested and tried to to get ready for his life of public ministry. And the very first thing that Satan does, two temptations back to back, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself from this high place and let God save your life. The first thing he does is he tries to get Jesus to doubt his identity as the son of God. The very first thing that Satan attacks is the identity of the loved child of God. And so you and I could expect in our life, and really it's true, that most of the negativity in life is is really focused on buffing your identity out of your soul as a loved child of God. Most of the negative things that people do, most of the way we interpret circumstances, whether it be a loss or a diagnosis, is us saying somehow, I'm not good enough, God is mad at me, God doesn't love me, God isn't pleased with me, there's no way I can be... Most of the things in life are aimed right at your identity. And then we spend our life trying to fill that void in other ways. Now, there are three areas that we tend to try to gain our identity. Um... Number one is, is I am what I have. We believe this lie, that, that I am what I have. And so we want the right car to pull up to work in. We want the right house to invite our friends over to. And we go into debt and make a lot of stress for ourselves to try to have the right things because some of us believe, I am what I have. And that creates a void that can never be filled by things, but we just try and try and try because we're convinced that we are what we have. Sometimes it's I am what I do. And so we achieve, and that's where the workaholism comes from, and and we have to do and do and do to prove our worth because deep down we think that we are what we do, and if I can just do more and gain more and achieve more, I'm a better person, and I'm okay with myself, and I, I, I feel approval. And maybe the most dangerous place is, I am what other people think that I am. And then we set out for a life of people-pleasing. I am what other people think that I am. And so we try to be super mom. (coughs) We need to have the best party in the class. Be the perfect wife, the perfect mom. And this creates all sorts of stress because ultimately we're gaining our identity somehow from trying to be super mom because we're not okay with who we are and it's not just moms I remember early on um, in, in the early days of Polaris um, I was right out of college I was 22 years old and I would get to I, I was like the, the pastor of idiocracy or something that was I think my job title um, and, and so I, I was you know, with these other guys who had a lot more tenure in ministry than I did and uh, we were at the rec center. And I would, before, every time it was my turn to speak, I would be in the locker room going over my talk, and just, I was miserable. The night before, Saturday night, miserable. Hoping to do a good job. All I didn't, you know, I'd love to say, well, I just want these people to understand God's love for them. and No, I wanted them to like what I did to think I did a good job and I made myself miserable because I really just wanted other people's approval. Now my sermons are lame and I don't care. <laughs> um, but we do, that, we, do, we do that all over the place in life where we're really working hard just to gain approval because we're looking for identity in the wrong place. And Paul says right off the bat you have to decide. Am I going to find my identity through who God sees me as? Or am I going to try to please people? And that's going to determine a lot of your happiness and fulfillment in life. All right, moving on. Chapter 2. Again, we're going to work our way through the book here. And then as you read it, you can put everything all together. Right, here's where Paul's going to attack morality versus faith because one of the problems is people were looking at their lifestyle, trying to gain their worth by their lifestyle or judging people and writing people off by their lifestyle, which goes both ways. You can either feel you're great and gain your identity because of your moral living, or you can feel you're worthless and define yourself by your failures neither of which are an acceptable place to gain your identity. Here's what Paul says. Verse 15, 215. We who are Jews by birth, Paul was a Jew by birth, and, and he's being very sarcastic when he says this, which is typical Paul as he writes. We who are Jews by birth and not, and not sinful Gentiles. Now he's quoting them and saying sinful Gentiles because that's how they viewed Gentile Christians. Out. They're just a bunch of sinners. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now Paul's not writing off, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, Paul's not writing off morality. It's a very important part of how we express our faith. But he's saying that's not what makes us right. Many, many, many Christians spend their life saying things like, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. Or if I live good enough, God's going to love me. Or man, God must be really mad at me today because I didn't live good enough yesterday. Paul's saying right here, we are not justified by our morality. We are not defined by by our morality, or lack thereof. He says we know that we are justified by faith in Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But we're justified by faith, not by morality. So for those of us who may be tempted to gain our identity through how we live, or think less of ourselves or others by how we or they live, that's not a part of our identity our identity who we are comes from faith in jesus alone that's it now let's take it another step here skip down a few verses verse 19 chapter 219 or chapter 220 i'm sorry i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, the undeserved gift of God. For if righteousness could be gained through morality or the law, Christ died for nothing. I'm going to read that one more time. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through morality, Christ died for nothing. Now, this is a huge passage for our identity. Number one, Paul reminds us that he says he's centered in God's love for him he doesn't allow himself to forget about God's love for him demonstrated in the cross and he says if good works if moral living could have saved us Jesus wouldn't have had to die but the Bible is very clear your morality cannot define you or save you no matter how much good we do it cannot overcome the negative things we do to separate us from God The only thing that could overcome that was the death penalty that Jesus paid for. And Paul says that's the only reason Jesus died. The only reason Jesus died was to pay the death penalty for you and for me. Now there are multiple times in the Gospels that Jesus is faced with death. Multiple times when the the, the religious establishment uh, began very early getting angry with Jesus and wanting to kill him. Because Jesus' teaching set people free from religious oppression. And they didn't like that. They liked being able to control people through religious oppression, defining people by their morality. Jesus taught against that. And so there were multiple times where they tried to rush him. One time they tried to pull him over a cliff, to throw him over a cliff. Multiple times. The Bible says that Jesus would miraculously escape. He was not afraid of death, and he escaped death many times. Now, when he was arrested and crucified, this was one of the times when he could have fairly easily escaped. Um, the Bible says that he was hanging out on the Mount of Olives when he was arrested, and he knew the Roman guard was coming for him. Now, when I was in Jerusalem a couple years ago, one of the, one of the more fascinating moments for me was to stand on the Mount of Olives, look over the Kidron Valley, I don't know, a mile, two miles, and up the hillside of Jeru- to Jerusalem. And, and one of the things I realized is, is Jesus could have easily seen the Roman guard coming to arrest him. I mean, it's night, they have their torches, this string of, of Roman officials coming with torches. He knows Jesus, Judas has already gone to get them. And, and he would have had, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, to run off into the darkness in any direction and save himself. It would have been nothing for Jesus to have disappeared and escape that, and really, the Roman guard didn't even care. Um, but Jesus chose, the Bible said that Jesus chose to die at Jerusalem, to pay the price for our sins, to take our death penalty for us. So the sins of, so our sins of today, that thing we did yesterday, that thing we're in the middle of doing, that was paid for on the cross, That death penalty was paid for. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Jesus paid our death penalty for us, and somehow God says we can put ourselves there on the cross too. And so Paul would work himself through this little mental exercise I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. A reminder that the death penalty was paid for, and that Alex Poindexter that I'm mad about because I did that thing yesterday, I paid the death penalty for that. In a very real way, I was crucified on the cross of Jesus. So everything I don't like about myself paid the death penalty for it already 2,000 years ago. And he says, I no longer live. Talk about identity. You're not even you. Through faith in Jesus, we are crucified, we were done away with, and now somehow, as we live, we live as Jesus. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So for identity, Paul is very aware that God loved him and gave himself for him, and he defines himself as having died 2,000 years ago and now being fully alive in Jesus. He goes on, In chapter 3. This is an incredible identity passage. Chapter 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You are all children of God through faith. Because we were crucified with Jesus through faith, and now we no longer live, he sees Jesus when he sees us. So you are the son or daughter in whom he loves and is well pleased. You really are a son or daughter of God who he loves and is pleased with through faith in Jesus. That needs to define you and me, nothing else. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves Now, remember we said baptism is how people said yes to Jesus? We say yes to Jesus, we are clothed with him. We wear him. It's who God sees when he looks at us. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All the categories that we may use to define ourselves are out the window. God sees Jesus and only Jesus. Everything we use for our identity is out the window, except the cross of Jesus and the living Jesus. That's where we gain our identity. So it doesn't matter what your parents said or what your peers said or what your husband or wife says or what your neighbor or that thing you did yesterday nothing defines you except the love of Jesus that's it because you are a son and daughter of God that's the core of your identity and nothing else and he goes on let me read one more passage here in verse 4 chapter 4 verse 4 Sorry, let me start, let me actually start down in in, in verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are his sons and daughters, and just so you know that that really does say that, is in the Greek language, a mixed gender word is always in the masculine. So there can be 99 women, 99 daughters, and one son, and it's translated sons, so... Um, sons and daughters, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. In other words, you have all the rights and privileges of a son and daughter of God. Now he says that the Spirit cries out, Abba. Um, that's an ancient word for, like, dad or daddy. Or when, I, when, I, when my dad comes over to visit, when my mom and dad come over to visit, I'll say, how's it going, Pops? So it's, it's, it's like Pops, or Daddy, or Dad. It's not Father, you know, with that slightly British accent. It's, it's Dad. It's the dad that you go fishing with or play catch with. It's the pops, it's the daddy, it's whatever it is. And and so what we see here is the Spirit of God works within our hearts to call him daddy or dad or pops, that intimate title. That's how real and thorough God wants you to define yourself by being his child. In Galatians, Paul is desperate that you and I align our identity with nothing less than being a child of God.